The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Closing in on 200 total yards for the quarter. Middle Tennessee has 19. Stanley, it's a play fake. On the roll to the end zone. Touchdown. Brandon Smith. It's a boot. He's on the move and finds the receiver running wide open. Nice play fake. He's on the move, never stops, and this is about as accurate as you can throw a decent coverage. Three possessions, three scores. Iowa still perfect in the red zone. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Scott Docterman, who previews this week's Iowa-Michigan game and also reflects on the Hawks' 48-3 domination of Middle Tennessee. We have Bonenkamp's Big Breakdown, John Bonenkamp's weekly look at Big Ten football, and you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Michigan's Jim Harbaugh. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of The Athletic and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, along with award-winning sports writer John Bonenkamp. The Iowa Middle Tennessee game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Kevin Brown and Andre Ware. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Sandy will hand it off again. Sargent follows his blockers into the end zone and Iowa picks up six on the opening drive. A pass to open the game. One other incompletion, but it was a lot of running in this drive. Four-yard score by Sargent, his second touchdown of the year. 11th rushing touchdown in two seasons with the Hawkeyes. 65 yards, just about four minutes. And Iowa's on the board first. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Iowa resumes Big Ten play in a big way Saturday at the Big House in Ann Arbor, facing off against the Michigan Wolverines. Iowa comes into this game 4-0 overall and 1-0 in Big Ten play after defeating Middle Tennessee 48-3 last Saturday at Kinnick Stadium. The Hawkeyes are ranked 14th in both the AP and the coaches' polls. Michigan is 3-1 overall and 1-1 in the Big Ten, having lost at Wisconsin and having defeated Middle Tennessee Army in two overtimes and Rutgers last weekend. The Wolverines are ranked 19th in the AP poll and 18th in the coaches poll. Iowa has won its last two games against Michigan and five of the last six overall. The Wolverines lead this series 41-15-4 in games played in Ann Arbor. Michigan holds a 7-25-3 advantage. This is Michigan's homecoming game and the Hawkeyes have won the games in their last two 
two trips to the big house on homecoming in 2002 and 2010. The Wolverines have won 20 of their last 24 homecoming games and under Harbaugh are 27 and 4 in games played at Michigan Stadium. In the last game played in the series on November 12, 2016 at Kinnick Stadium, Iowa place kicker Keith Duncan, then a true freshman, kicked a 33-yard field goal as time expired to give the Hawkeyes a thrilling upset 14-13 victory over a Michigan team that came into that game 9-0 and ranked second in the nation. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is the dean of college football coaches with an overall record of 168 and 122, and he's 156 and 101 in his 21 years as Iowa's head man. His 156 wins as a head coach in the Big Ten ranked fifth in league history. His 92 Big Ten wins ranked sixth in conference history, and he's the winningest head coach in Iowa football history. Both Ferentz and former Iowa head coach Hayden Fry rank in the top 10 in the Big Ten with respect to overall wins and conference wins. Only Iowa and Michigan have two coaches ranked in those categories. The Wolverines coaches are Bo Schembechler and Lloyd Carr. Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh is in his fifth year heading the Wolverines. His record there is 41-15, and and his overall record in nine years as a college head football coach is 70-36. and In three of the four previous seasons, Harbaugh's squads have won 10 games. In game notes, Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley continues his ascent in the Iowa record books. He started the last 30 games, and in those contests, they've averaged 30.2 points per game. He has attempted 136 passes without throwing an interception. That's the sixth longest streak among FBS active quarterbacks. So far this season, he has eight touchdown passes without throwing a pick. Stanley is now third all-time in program history with 60 career touchdown passes, trailing only Chuck Long, who finished with 74, and Drew Tate, who had 61. Barring something unforeseen, Stanley will almost certainly pass Tate and has an excellent chance of passing Long as well. Iowa's defense is allowing just 8.5 points per game and has surrendered only four touchdowns in the first four games this year. Michigan leads the Big Ten and is third in the FBS in pass defense. It gives up just 127.8 passing yards per game and has surrendered just two touchdowns and have two picks. Offensively, the Wolverines are prolific in the red zone. They've scored 79% of the time when they get there, and they're also converting 40% of their third down attempts. In depth chart notes, Iowa should have at least three players returning from injuries for this game. Offensive lineman and starting tackle Alaric Jackson, defensive back Julius Brents, and safety Kayvon Merriweather. Michigan's backup quarterback Dylan McCaffrey and starting linebacker Josh Ross are both doubtful for Saturday's contest. And this game also marks the return of wide receiver Oliver Martin to Michigan Stadium, this time as a member of the Hawkeyes after transferring from the Wolverines earlier this year. In tidbits and nuggets, this interdivision Big Ten contest will be televised by Fox with announcers Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt, and Jenny Taft. However, if you have DirecTV, you will probably not be able to watch the game due to the continued fight between AT&T and Sinclair Broadcasting. Sinclair owns many of the Fox stations in the upper Midwest, so clearly those two corporate giants appear to care very little about Big Ten fans and the commercial establishments that have DirecTV. As usual, the game will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio Network with announcers 
producers Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. It will also be available on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 210, and Sirius Channel 103. Jim Harbaugh has not had a lot of success against Iowa, either as Michigan's starting quarterback or as its head coach. Harbaugh was a Wolverines QB when top-ranked Iowa defeated second-ranked Michigan 12-10 at Kinnick in 1985, and he coached the Maze in Blue in its loss in 2019 at Kinnick when Duncan kicked the aforementioned game-winning field goal as time expired. With last Saturday's victory, Iowa is now 4-0 for the fifth time in the Kirk Ferentz era, and in three of those seasons, the Hawkeyes went on to win 10 or more games. Iowa has started the season 5-0 only two times under Ferentz in 2009 and 2015. Since 2001, Iowa has 152 wins overall and five top 10 finishes nationally. During that same time span, the Wolverines have 151 wins and four top 10 finishes. And broadcast school has really paid off. Smith Marset on the sweep, untouched for six. It's a tight end out there in the in the flat, and it's it's an escort to the end zone for Smith Marset. Brandon Smith, who had a third down catch on the drive, threw a block on the outside as well. Another extra point for Duncan. The lead is 31 for Iowa. Next up is Bonenkamp's big update. You can follow John Bonenkamp on Twitter, at John Bonenkamp, and you can read John's articles on Sports Illustrated's Hawkeye Maven at maven.io forward slash Iowa, and also at hawkeyesmike.com. John talks Big Ten football week six in the 2019 season. We welcome back John Bonenkamp. It's week two of Bonenkamp's big update, but John, before we get into the games themselves from last Last week and of course this coming weekend. Just a couple of notes about the Big Ten Conference football so far this season. Uh, six Big Ten games are on the docket this weekend. Four divisional matchups. Five Big Ten teams remain undefeated. Ohio State at 5-0 and and then Iowa, the Gophers, Penn State and the Badgers are all at 4-0 and and while Ohio State and Penn State are currently ranked among the top five nationally in both scoring offense and scoring defense. Thinking ahead to this weekend's game in Ann Arbor, Iowa is among the conference and national leaders and total defense, scoring defense, rushing defense, fewest penalty yards, and time of possession. So interesting things for the Hawkeyes, and the conference continues to show well this year with a lot of highly ranked teams. Yeah, and I mean, you know, going back, and just when you look at Iowa stats, that that to me is, Kirk talked about this the other day when, when he was talking about, you know, doing the little thing, you know, the, he had the, the Ted March of Broda quote that Hayden Fry had told him about doing the little things, you know, that you can lose games more than you can win them sometimes and, I, and so that's what they've done i mean they've, they've done everything right in terms of controlling the ball controlling the clock and not turning the ball over and when you do that you're going to win a lot of games and i think that's why they're at where they're at right now okay let's talk here in big 10 action you've spent your semi-regular time at the catfish pen casino and the points bet sports book so you're ready to roll for this weekend but first sure. let's just glance back at the week five results we talked about those games every one of them individually last week maybe the biggest surprise 
surprise was what Penn State did to Maryland and certainly screwed up some spreads there. But Wisconsin struggled against Northwestern. Minnesota Just showed... killed it. my parlay. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, Minnesota showed it's probably better than Purdue, and Purdue continues to struggle, which has implications in the West Division. And Ohio State went out to Nebraska and put the Cornhuskers in their place. Yeah, I mean, that was... I mean, you know, when I saw the line for that game, I thought... I really thought they would cover. I mean, I, I knew Ohio State was going to cover just because they're just so good right now. You know, going back to what I said earlier, Wisconsin just killed one of my parlays because I figured that, I mean, the way they had played the week, you know, the way they played against Michigan, I thought, okay, this is this is the way they're going to be. And then Northwestern gave them a battle. The interesting one was Minnesota and Purdue because that one kind of shifted. It was, Minnesota was a one-point uh, one favorite until it was announced that, that Sindelar was going to be quarterback. And then it switched around and then all of a sudden Purdue was a favorite and then Sindelar gets hurt and then all of a sudden Minnesota wins by seven so you know they've you know to go on the road in the division and get a win you know I mean that's that's that puts you you know that kind of keeps you in control of your own destiny now you know if you if you can go on the road and win in this division you know that gives you a leg up when it comes to tiebreakers so I mean yeah that was it didn't look like it you know I mean it kind of got lost in the shuffle but that was a really big win for Minnesota. Okay turning to week six now we'll touch on the Iowa Michigan game last the one that most listeners probably care about the most but so let's start with Purdue at Penn State, 11 a.m. on ESPN. Yeah, Penn State, 27 and a half point favorite. Over under for that one's 56.5. I mean, Penn State showed last week that they can put up a lot of points and be and be really dominant. And yeah, it was at Maryland, but you know, I mean, it's still that's still a, that's still an impressive show to put on, especially you know, even on a Friday night, you're playing a game you know a day earlier than than what you usually play, and for them to go in and dominate like that, I mean, you you kind of get the the sense that they'll do the same thing to Purdue on Saturday. I mean, that line doesn't seem that big when you think about it, when you think about what they did the other day, because Purdue really isn't playing well right now, and they've got a lot of injury concerns. So that's one that, that I think you got to take Penn State and give the points. And that over-under, I mean, it may get above 60, so you never know. You, just the way Penn State played last week. Okay, BTN, 11 a.m. Central, Maryland at Rutgers. <laughs> wow, that game's barking. You know, it's it, it's interesting as there is no line on that right now. And I think a lot of it is just with the uncertainty of Rutgers and everything else. You know, that's one of those ones that, you know, BTN, <laughs> BTN's like, let's hope that game gets over with in three hours. You know, it, it's it's an important game, I think, for both if you want to. I mean, you, you know, both of them have just not played well. And, you, you know, you want to get when you're when you're facing a team that, that's in as bad a shape as you are, you don't want to have another bad game. So there's there's a lot of pressure on both teams, I think, to have a good game in that one, because if not, there aren't there aren't a lot of winnable ones the rest of the way for them so you know I think that 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 will make it kind of interesting to see who can kind of you know maybe get a little momentum going into the rest of the season but yeah that's an ugly game all the way around Badgers uh, step out of the conference host Kent State 11 a.m. kickoff ESPNU Wisconsin 36 point favorite at home against a two and two Kent State team over under 59 and a half you know I think Wisconsin I think Wisconsin covers in this one I think last week was just a uh, there might have been a little bit of hangover from that from the game the week before and so I, I think that they um I think they dominate this one I, I think that's one that that it's kind of like Iowa's game last week you want to get a big early lead and get guys out and then because you've got bigger games coming up so I think Wisconsin will try to really get this one out of hand early and, and get some people some rest so I, I take Wisconsin and give the points in that one interesting side storyline in that game Kent State's coached by a former Badger but uh, don't look for Wisconsin to get the foot off the pedal no no I no, they'll run that one up. 
So 2.30 p.m., also BTN. Very interesting Big Ten West clash with implications. See where Minnesota goes on this. Illinois at the Gophers. Yeah, Minnesota's a 14-point favorite over under 56.5. You know, I, it, it, that's going to be an interesting one because, again, okay, now, you, now you've got a road win. Now you don't want to lose a home game. And this is an Illinois team that has been very up and down so far this year, so you don't know, quite know what you're going to get out of them. You know, I that's one that I think I probably stay away from on Saturday just because they're both a little unpredictable. You know, you're still not quite sure about Minnesota. You know, they've done some good things, but you're still not quite sure about them. And you're not, and you're really not sure about Illinois because you don't know which team's going to show up. So, you know, I, if, if I had, you know, if I had to bet that game, I, I'd almost say maybe Illinois and, and, and take the points just because I think it might be a close game. But if Minnesota can come in and dominate that game and, and get rid of Illinois early and, and, and kind of run things up on them, that again, that, that, that gives them another gives them another division win, and that's what you want to keep doing when you're in those games. Next up, uh, 3 p.m. Central Time kickoff on Fox. Northwestern at Nebraska preseason. We thought that could be a key game in the Big Ten West, but now eh, maybe not so much. Yeah, Nebraska's you know fighting right now for to you know after that last week and, and just the way they were handled, and now you get a home game against the Northwestern team that, that really played did some good things against Wisconsin, and, and you know yeah well, they're one and three but now that you know they've got a little confidence playing that well against against a division foe nebraska is a seven point favorite over under 50 i i see that game in the 20 you know i see you know like a 22 20 24 21 game or whatever something like that uh, i think nebraska gets the win but i think it's going to be a lot i think it's going to be a close game i think i think you know it's it, i just again i think northwestern's got a little momentum right now and i think nebraska's really reeling after that game the other night that game the other night was ugly and it really maybe you know that one might still be in their heads when that game starts. Thinking about the Wildcats and Boilermakers, both of those teams not favored to win this weekend and both, if that is the case, will start the season 1 and 4 and 0 for in the Big Ten so far. 6.30 p.m. kickoff ABC Michigan State at Ohio State. Pretty interesting contest there. Yeah, Ohio State's a 20-point favorite at home. The over-under is 50. I just see them just, they're just really rolling right now. And I know Michigan State has. I mean, Michigan State's played well. I mean, this. I mean, it's funny when you think about it, this. Is a, this is a game between two ranked teams, two rivals, and Ohio State's that big a favorite. That just is kind of an idea of how much Vegas really likes this team right now. This this Ohio State team and thinks it can put up some points. You know, I I just really see this one as, as not even being close. I just think this is this is just a dominant Ohio State team right now that is that is just playing well. Michigan State could give them a little bit of a problem defensively. That over under at fifty. I think. I think it probably gets to be an over just because I think the points that Ohio State can put up. But, um, you know, and it, that's that's going to be another one of those games where Ohio State just kind of, I think, adds its adds to its uh, re- resume right now because I just I just think this is a really good team. Maybe they can add a trophy to this game, uh, <laughs> something like an old used physician white coat, given the recent problems <laughs> both of those schools have had. So Exactly. Anyway, I'll probably get in trouble on that. Oh, yeah. And now the game that probably most listeners care about, listeners to this podcast anyway. The Hawkeyes up in Ann Arbor in the big house against the Michigan Wolverines. The Wolverines have been inconsistent to some degree, were embarrassed at Wisconsin, struggled against Army, and the Hawkeyes coming in looking really good in all three phases. Yeah, and what's really interesting about the game is the over-unders at 47 and a half. So, I mean, Vegas is seeing this as being like a 24-20 game. Michigan's a three and a half point favorite. And, you know, I, I think part of it is because maybe they think that, that 
they maybe they got a little momentum after the game they had last week against Rutgers. You know, I again, I think this is a really good Iowa team. I, you know, if, if I'm leaning on this game on, on Saturday, I, I I may take it in Iowa in the points. I mean, I just I think that that um, you know I don't see this being a big Michigan win if it is a win. You know, the over under seems about right because I do think it's going to be you know in the in, I think both teams are going to be in the twenties. So I do think it's going to be you know I, I do think you might want to take the under on this one, but I, I just see this being like I said I think this is going to be like a 24-20 game and I think Iowa prevails. I just think it, it, I just think it's it's going to be a really it's just going to be a really close game. I think. Is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? Probably not. No, but I do it anyway because it's sterile and I like the taste. Quick hitter, Smith on the slant, Brandon Smith up over the top and into the end zone. Touchdown, Iowa, his second of the day. No hesitation with the receivers. You catch it, you turn, you get vertical and pull away from defenders. 17th career multi-touchdown game for Nate Stanley through the air. He's now one away from tying Drew Tate for second on the all-time Iowa list. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about preparing to face Michigan in the big house. Uh, looking at Michigan, you know, things really haven't changed uh, since the first time I was ever uh, exposed to, to them in person in 1981. Uh, first of all, you know, they're one of the premier uh, football programs in the history of college football. Uh, they've been good for a long, long time. And uh, when you look at them, typically they're very, very talented. That's certainly the case with this group uh, pretty much at every position. They've got good skill, good talent. Uh, and good ability. So that, that really uh, has been pretty consistent. And uh, typically when you play a Michigan team, they're well coached. And I think it's the same thing here. So uh, all that being said, uh, you know, we're traveling up to a very historic stadium, one of the biggest stadiums in the country. And you know, it's just a great uh, environment for college football. So it's something I think anybody can be excited about having a chance to compete uh, in that environment. So uh, as we move forward, you know, we know we have a great challenge on our hands right now. We need a great week of preparation. We'll have to play our absolute best to, to have a chance to be uh, successful in this thing. And that's uh, that's really the challenge in front of our team right now. But uh, we're off to a good start, and hopefully we'll have a good week and be at our best on Saturday. Ferentz was asked about the growth of the offensive line, especially with the shuffling after the injury to Alaric Jackson. It has. I mean, really, we came into the season with uh, two proven starters up front uh, with our two tackles, A.J. and Tristan. And then, uh, you know, we certainly felt good about Tyler Linderbaum's progress. But, you know, the guy never played center before, and he's a second-year player. So uh, I think we, we probably thought of him differently than it really was in, in reality. Uh, but I think those three guys, you know, we felt pretty pretty stable about, you know, going into the season and then, you know, what's going to happen at guard, all those kinds of things. But yeah, I think I think we've seen a lot of improvement and growth. Obviously, we lost Kyler. That, that hurt. But uh, we'll get him back here in a couple of weeks. And uh, But the other guys stepping up, Kallenberger, uh, both Paulson's playing good football. Ben Wright, I thought, played better Saturday. So, you know, it's encouraging to see some growth. Ferentz was asked about the emphasis the Hawkeyes place on valuing each possession and awareness of the turnover margin. Uh, I, I guess you know, coming here in 1981, uh, I just remember Coach Fry. He said, you know, before you're going to win, you can't you can't lose games. And then uh, Ted Marchabrota said, more games are lost than than won. You know, those old axioms are really true. Uh, but you look at the 81 ball club. Uh, we were not prolific offensively by any stretch of the imagination, but we had a pretty salty defense. Uh, had the best punter in the world, not not in uh, college football, but in the world at that time, and uh, pretty solid kicking game. So yeah, we found a way to be successful that year. But protecting the ball is just it's it's paramount to me. It's no different than tackling. 
discipline well on defense. You know, if, if you don't do those things consistently, then you better really be more talented than every opponent you play, and that, that's hard to do. Part of it's experience, and, and then, you know, part of it's concentration, too. I think those two things really help us. And for the most part, guys touching the football, have some experience, and then, you know, guys that are in the, those positions. And then, you know, concentration is something everybody's capable of. So, but it, it's all those things have to go together and fundamentals on top of it, but that's concentration, too. And Kirk Ferentz provides his thoughts on true freshman running back Tyler Goodson. We really liked him in recruiting, needless to say. And, uh, but, you know, we like all of our guys in recruiting. Really, until you get them on campus, you're not quite sure what they look like in person. Uh, I was thinking about Abdul Hodge in that regard. You know, the first time standing behind him um, in, a, in a, not a scrimmage situation, but a practice situation. He was quicker than I anticipated, I guess. And, you know, so that that's part of it. And then part of it is just how do they react to the circumstances they're, they're being put into. And, and this is very different than playing in high school, just like, you know, guys that go to the NFL, it's another step for them, too. And I think the thing that's really impressed all of us uh, right from the start with him is he just seems seems to be pretty much unaffected by whatever situation we put him in. And uh, again, you know, go flashback moments. Tony Moaki had that ability, too, when he showed up. It just seemed like whatever we asked him to do, he did it pretty well. And Tower kind of has that, that ability, too. And he's you know, a very humble guy, very hardworking guy, and really good teammate. So it's it's been great to have him on our team. Great addition. <laughs> Next, we hear from Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. Now, assuming most of our listeners don't get to hear from Harbaugh very often, we are presenting him in this podcast, essentially unedited, so you can get a sense of what his media interactions are like. Harbaugh was asked to gauge the development of his team this season in the context of preparing to face a quality team like Iowa. Well, uh, we'll definitely, um, you know, we, if you can play two really good games in a row. I mean, that would be a trend in my mind. Three or more would become a habit. So uh, trying to cement that as a, as a goal for us, and a, that's where we want to be, you know, consistently good. Harbaugh talks about this year's Iowa team. Yeah, they, uh, they're consistently good. Uh, have been for, for many years, and um, probably the thing that strikes you the most about them is that they're consistently really good in all three phases. Um, good at uh, good and experienced and and uh, good and consistent. There has been a lot of talk in Michigan and nationally about Harbaugh's decision to bring in a new offensive coordinator this season and completely change Michigan's offensive schemes to more of a spread attack. Harbaugh was asked how he thought at this point in the season his offensive philosophy and NFL background is meshing with that of his new OC, Josh Gaddis. Really, really well. I'm I'm really excited about it. I think uh, just... uh, get along great he's great he's a easy person to get along great with and a really hard-working coach that uh you know he's a ball guy so uh you know we've we've all we've all meshed and gelled well as a uh, professional relationship and a uh, uh, personal note i think he's a great guy and um fun to be around you know all, all the good things you know about a about a personality he has them and um, feel the same way about each and every one of our coaches, but yeah, he's a he's a all ball and uh, and fun to be around too. Hilarious and funny, and uh, 
you know, really hardworking. And Harbaugh was asked how he assesses the development of his team's running game, especially with the prospect of facing the Hawkeyes' stout run defense. Uh, there was some really good physical play in uh, the offensive line. There was uh, quite a few really good examples. And uh, and that's kind of some of the things that we've been seeing in practice for for uh, a couple months now, and it was good to see that in the, in the game. Uh, I thought John Runyon was... Uh, played his best game. I thought he was also back more to, you know, John, uh, you know, his, his capabilities. Uh, I think he was, he was slow the first couple of weeks. He wasn't moving around as well, uh, as athletic as, as he is. Probably Thursday, you know, saw it kind of, ah, this is, you know, looks more like John. And then Saturday, it was, uh, it was a lot more, you know, like, um, he was 100%, close to 100%. I don't know if he was all the way to 100%, but it looked looked close. Uh, and he, he was our had an outstanding game, prior most outstanding lineman in the game. I thought Jalen Mayfield made made strides, uh, and then uh, consistently good. Still Ben Ben Bredesen playing really well, and, and Michael Wayne you, uh, and they're working better, you know, in there together, you know, as the as that that group of five as that. That team that hasn't always been, you know, just five guys practicing each week and then five guys playing in the game each week. But I think that's uh, that's part of the equation. Visit HawkeyesMike.com and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Medium and Twitter. in the end zone. Throwing a bone his way. First career touchdown for the redshirt senior out of Humboldt, the former walk-on linebacker who picks up six. 11th career carry for Brady Ross. Move from linebacker to fullback. And it's four scores in four drives for the Iowa Hawkeyes. No look ahead to Michigan here. It's all U of I on a Saturday. Time now for our weekly reporter's notebook feature this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at theathletic.com slash team slash Iowa dash Hawkeyes. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott reflects on Iowa's 48-3 non-conference win over Middle Tennessee and he previews the matchups in this Saturday's game, Iowa at Michigan. We welcome back Scott Docterman to talk Iowa-Michigan. Huge game coming up in Ann Arbor on Saturday, but before we get there, let's take one last look. Your reflections, Scott, on Iowa's dominating win over Middle Tennessee, 48-3. The only thing the Blue Raiders took back from Iowa City was they raided Iowa's bank account for about a million and a half bucks. Yeah, I hope they spent it on um, maybe on recruiting budget 
budget uh, coming up, at least from what we saw. Though it was really a, a dominant performance, and it was one of the better ones that I've seen out of Iowa in recent years. And you know, they've they've had some good victories over time, but the way they dominated, they dominated in every facet: offense, defense, special teams. You know, they were able to get three running backs with 90 plus yards. They were able to, uh, you know, three different receivers. You know, generated at least 60 yards of offense. So I, I mean, and then a quarterback, Nate Stanley. I'd be remiss not mentioning him. So it was a dominant effort against a, a subpar team that isn't as good as what it was last year, clearly. And uh, Iowa got through it the way it needed to, and here we are, uh, you know, entering the the real season, as we might want to say. So the Hawkeyes have had a fair amount of success recently against the Wolverines. They've won two straight, five of the last six. Uh, they come into this game, of course, undefeated. Michigan's three and one, and looked very bad in the loss at Wisconsin and struggled in overtime to squeak by Army. Let's talk the offensive matchup for the Hawkeyes against Michigan's defense, which is uh, pretty decent overall, but has lost a lot of people over the last couple of years to the NFL, and they're having some issues there, too. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to Michigan's defense right now, that, uh, you know, they, they're not bad, but you clearly playing two teams that were run-focused have the statistics at a rough level for them. I mean, they are, you know, allowing 168 yards per game, which ranks 13th in the Big Ten. Uh, they just don't seem to be solid at the point of attack. And the way that they got pulverized by the by uh, the Badgers really suggests that uh, there's some issues there. And as you mentioned, they've had a lot of uh, attrition, you know, to the NFL and, and it gets really solid competition. But that said, this is just does not look representative of the type of Michigan team we've seen over the years. And, and they have great players, uh, great athletes, but uh, they certainly did not play well against the, the Badgers. And, you know, last week, it was kind of their get well week. They played Rutgers, which will be everybody's get well team this year. Uh, but but that said, uh, you know, I, I just I'm I'm not impressed right now. I think they've got some room to grow, and I think they will eventually. But I'm not sure this is the week that it will happen for the Wolverines. Nate Stanley, as you just mentioned, has really played well, continuing his march upwards in terms of the Iowa record books. Maybe uh, two of the most impressive things, apart from the wide receivers and the return of the running game, are the is the turnover margin. Iowa's only had one turnover all season, and they're plus five in that respect. And then the other thing is with the injury to Alaric Jackson and all of the shuffling that went on in the offensive line subsequent to that, and you did a story uh, in The Athletic on that issue, how good he is and how much that means when he returns to starting in the offensive line. But overall, the offensive line performance, even with all the shuffling, has been quite good. This has been the best uh, scenario that could happen for Iowa is that not only you, you lose a tackle, but you don't lose him for the season and he's still an elite performer but then they were able to shuffle around enough guys to build depth which is important this year we know that there are going to be injuries there already have been injuries but then you know then you look down the road because uh you know i have a feeling that a couple of junior tackles might be making a lot of money next year so i think this has been helpful for iowa in that that mark kallenberger has gotten on the field and then on the interior you're throwing in guys like cody Ince, and you know the the paulson brothers have played but then there have been rotations 
Nation, Justin Britt, other players have gotten in. So I think this has been beneficial for Iowa. And then the way that they've played. I mean, right now, they're averaging, you know, more than 217 yards per game. That's up by quite a bit from last year. I mean, they're they're averaging now, you know, 5.2 yards per carry. Last year was 3.9. So uh, on the ground, it's really been strong. And then through the air, you could see the growth from not only Nate Stanley and, and the, the poise that he's playing with. And a lot of that has to do with the way the offensive line has performed, but also that his receivers have grown and you could see that execution just take off. So I think this has been, you know, an exciting four-game four stretch for Iowa, but it also suggests that there's a lot of possibilities here. And then, you know, Nate Stanley in some ways has been forgotten, in some ways maligned a little bit by Iowa fans, but to throw eight touchdowns and no interceptions to complete passes, you know, at what, a 64% right now, I think he's uh, he's playing at an elite level, both in those four games and suggests that there could be more coming. Yeah, one of the things we do every Sunday morning is pull up Iowa's rankings nationally with respect to the FBS. And, you know, historically, certainly in recent history, those rankings, they've always been fairly high in defensive stats. But this is the first season that I can remember in quite some time where they're up there offensively. Right now, Iowa's 29th in the nation in total offense at 465 yards a game. Yeah, and that's been been the most impressive part is that it just, in some ways, it's looked really easy in the first four weeks. Not Iowa State, of course. That was a difficult game. But Iowa was able to convert a lot of third downs in that game. And a lot of that just has to go back to the poise in which Nate Stanley performs. But yeah, I mean, 465 yards per game, that's third of the Big Ten. Uh, Their rushing offense is fourth of the Big Ten. Their scoring offense, you know, at 33.6. Now, not really many people have looked back, but they've won seven straight games. And their average number of points is over 36. Only twice more in, in Iowa history over a full season is Iowa averaged more than that, 1985 and 2002. So if uh, you know if, you, if this parlays all the way out, this, this could be a special season offensively. And, and really, you look at that offense and you tell me what's the weakness, and I can't find one. I think, uh, you know, there's growth to be had, of course. I think the tight ends need to get more involved. I think, you know, the, maybe a little more accuracy a little bit here and there, but, but there's really no weakness. And if you don't have a weakness in Iowa style of play, I mean, that, that really shows you that you, you're versatile and you could get down the field. You can also have short passes and you could run the ball effectively. And if Iowa could do all three of those things, they're going to be a dangerous team for no matter who they face. In terms of rushing, you've got the three-headed uh, monster, if you want to call it that, um, sort of an emerging monster, Mackay Sargent. I th- think most people expected to see from him what we are seeing. Torrin Young's having quite the season, averaging 7.6 uh, yards per carry. And Tyler Goodson is the emerging star there. And Tyler Goodson's got the most talent of the three, and, and we will see him take a, a bigger role, perhaps not this week, although I think he will run the football some. But I think once we get into November, that's when you're going to see Tyler Goodson probably be on the field a little more often than we have now, other than in garbage time, because uh, he can make guys miss the way the others can't. He's still, you know, he's strong, he's he's versatile, he's got great balance, he's explosive, and, uh, you know, he's compact. So I think once you get past this two game stretch there, you know, maybe you're going to start to see him play more against, say, Purdue later on against teams like Minnesota and Illinois. So, you know, he's, but then you look at the others. Makai Sargent is the, the best back they have currently because he not only can block, but he can catch and he can run. Torrin Young is that bowl. And some, against some defenses, you really need him against other ones, not as effective, but, you know, certainly you can't argue with 7.6 yards per carry, but all three of them are averaging more than 5.5. If Iowa 
it can continue that situation. We'll be seeing them in Indianapolis and, and definitely in one of the major bowls this year. And like Sergeant Goodson has shown that he can catch the ball as well. Let's talk to wide receivers a minute. Of course, one of the storylines here, obviously, is Oliver Martin returning to the big house after the transfer away from Michigan to the Hawkeyes. But he's having trouble getting playing time. The uh, other receivers are doing quite well. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people have talked about this, but really, it you, you just start to look at, well, why isn't he playing? It's not because anybody else isn't very good. They're all playing at a very high level. I mean, I would suggest the last time we've seen a, a, a receiving core that was this good was probably 2010 with Marvin McNutt and Daryl Johnson Culianos and guys like that. And and so I think you look at this and it's hard to get him on the field. Now, he came to camp, uh, you know, in, in June, he was, he was finally at workouts. He came to camp later than everybody else. They all had the spring. They all had last fall. Brandon Smith and Amir Smith are set. You know, this is their third year in the system. So it's really, it's to be expected that somebody as talented as Oliver Martin can't just walk in and be one of the, you know, the primary players. Now, I think as the season kind of progresses, he's going to get on the field more often because there's going to be more dings. He's going to be more comfortable. And this might be a, a week where they need him because I'm sure he's shared as much as he knows with Iowa's coaching staff, but I, you know, he, he's, he's effective enough that I think he needs to be on the field. So, you know, whether it's 10 plays or 30 plays, you're going to start to see him a little bit more. Uh, you know, he didn't play much against Iowa State, but, but that said, you know, all four of them have been great. You know, Tyrone Tracy, you know, had some electric flying plays last week. Nico Regani's had a, a couple of big receptions and you know it's important in the slot so I think he's going to have to continue to work to make sure that when he gets on the field those stamps are valued because uh, right now the other four are playing really well. Yeah the other thing that's become so obvious is Stanley's comfort level with a whole bunch of them and the real emergence this season of particularly Smith Marset and uh, Smith. Yeah Smith is we get we saw the growth last year especially after that Iowa State game with that big fade route down the sideline that you know ever since then he became a bigger and better target. But with with TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant, it was hard to put those two and, and all the other receivers in a position of strength because, hey, you've got <laughs> you've got otherworldly tight ends. And they scored touchdowns last weekend in the NFL too. But I, I think you look at the way Smith-Marset is playing, I think he is the weapon on the receiving core that Iowa needs the most. I think he's the most important player on offense because he stretches the field and he can, he can get big routes that other players can't do. He's so fast, elusive. He's averaging almost 17 yards a catch right now. He opens up the entire offense the way the others don't. Smith is so physical that he can catch contested balls, and he's coming better in his route. Still got ways to go. They all do, but they're playing at a, a level that, that puts Iowa in a position to win in the passing game, which really we haven't seen for a long time. I mean, yeah, tight ends have been great, but you've got to be able to stretch the field, and Iowa's finally been able to do that, because even when C.J. Beathard was there, the receivers were decent but not like this level, so I, I think this is the type of team that can attack good teams with good secondaries through the air, and uh, that, that's where Iowa is right now in the passing game. Back to Michigan's defense a second. Well, Iowa's defense has the cash position, although we haven't seen much of it so far due to the injuries in the defensive backfield for the Hawkeyes. Michigan's defense has the Viper position, which is a, a linebacker, and it, that individual, Kaliki Hudson, is also their leading tackler, but if the Wolverines have had a weakness on defense that's most noticeable so far this season, it's been their 
rushing defense. They're giving up an average of 168 yards a game, and they've given up nine rushing touchdowns. Now, they got gashed at Wisconsin, and, and you know, to some degree, that performance up in Madison was is probably impacted those numbers. But I think Harbaugh expressed some concern in his press conference about Iowa's ability to run the ball. And that's got to be, a, that's a confidence issue for your defense. If you get run on in physical fashion, it sticks with you. It's kind of like getting your butt kicked in a fight. You remember it for a while. And I think that's the case right now with, with Michigan. I mean, you know, the, the way they played against Wisconsin, that's something that Michigan rarely experiences to be beaten that physically. It leaves a mark. And then, you know, even before that against Army, Army's a run-heavy attack. So, I mean, those numbers might be a little skewed, you know, based on the fact that they're, they're playing, you know, a run-heavy offense and then you're followed up with, a, you know, a really physical grinding offense. But, but that said, I mean, Iowa can do the same thing. I mean, they're in a different way than all three of them. So there's got to be a concern there. When you're losing guys, you know, consistently to the NFL and you can't replace them with better players, uh, that you run into this danger. And, and the Big Ten has become more of a diverse type of system, you know, throughout the league. You know, Iowa and Wisconsin play a certain way, but then other teams are adapting to the spread in the finesse style, and it catches up with you. And right now, uh, Michigan's got that kind of that problem. Now, you know, they're capable. They've got really good players. I mean, I think their defensive end is, is terrific, uh, you know, pay, uh, you know, but I think they they have some issues, and Iowa has a chance to exploit them, uh, certainly in the front seven, because, you know, they may try to be physical, but they're not as physical as the Hawkeye. And one of their starting linebackers, Josh Ross, is listed as doubtful for this game. You know, the past few years, I think opposing defenses came into Iowa games thinking, well, if we shut down their run, they can try to beat us with their passing game, but they're highly unlikely to do that you can't say that anymore you can't you can't defend it that way and you know a couple years ago when it's Akron Wadley everybody was like well we'll just single cover the receivers you know crowd the line of scrimmage and hold them to 3.3 yards per carry and then it's uh you know just basically a fist fight from there on well because Iowa is more explosive through the air with Amir Smith-Marset with Brandon Smith and then Tyrone Tracy and and the other players uh Nico Regani then that opens it all up you can't just play eight men in a box against Iowa anymore because they'll hit you with big plays and they got a big play quarterback too. So then that allows when you drift players off the line of scrimmage, boom, then you hit them with the run. And uh, that's kind of been a, a beneficial uh, part of Iowa's game. You know, one, one team has slowed Iowa down in the running game. That was Iowa State. But they didn't shut Iowa down either. Iowa was able to run on them. And a lot of that was due to Tyler Linderbaum, who I think has been outstanding at center. One of the best young players, young offensive linemen I've ever seen at Iowa. I mean, I think he's playing at a higher level of center than even like Worfs and Jackson did as, as freshman so that's really where it starts with Iowa is, you know, being able to, to get out and, and really be physical on the, uh, in the running game. And then also pass deep because I, I think this offense is at a versa, you know, versatile standpoint. It's, it's as high level as it's been in a lot of years. So who has the edge in this matchup, Iowa's offense, Michigan's defense? I think Iowa does uh, in this case because Iowa, again, you know, you look at all the, the pertinent information, you know, how they're performing run, pass, 
yards total, all of which are at a high level. One turnover. They're scoring it, you know, almost 34 points a game. Michigan has not performed up to its normal level. They're 13th in the in run defense. They're allowing 168 yards per game, 3.8 yards per carry. Uh, so I, I think right now, even though their pass defense has been good and they have an outstanding secondary, I think Iowa has the advantage because Iowa can do so many different things and has has a game that will travel, and that's running the football in physical fashion and a quarterback who will not be intimidated by the environment. Okay, let's turn to Iowa's defense versus the Michigan offense. Turnovers have been an issue for the Wolverines. They're 13th in turnover margin right now in the Big Ten with a minus four, three INTs, seven fumbles through the first four games. And with Iowa, very importantly here, finally, it looks like they're getting some of their defensive secondary players who've been injured back for this game. That's going to be the key, I think, on defense is can, well, I think first of all, is can Iowa mount a pass rush? And if there has been an underwhelming development in Iowa this year, it's been the lack of a pass rush. I mean, only five sacks or 13 to the Big Ten. And I think with the players they have, I think that's really, you know, you grade them at a D level. Uh, and it's not A.J. Epineza per se, because A.J. Epineza has faced a lot of double teams in traditional pass sets. You know, he's been cut, blocked on quick passes. They, they've doing everything they can to prevent him from taking over the game, which he can do. So I think it's up to the other players to step up, you know, a Chauncey Golston, a Cedric Lattimore, a, a Davion Nixon. I mean, you know, Austin Schulte. They're going to have to create more to, to enable, you know, Epineza to, to kind of value that performance. So if they cannot mount much of a pass rush against Shea Patterson, then I think that makes their secondary vulnerable against a very good wide receiver core. I would say that's probably the strength of the Michigan team right now is they have four wide receivers who are pretty much better than almost every team in the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, whether it's Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, Ronnie Bell, I mean, they just they throw out these receivers that really are difficult to cover. And, and in space, they're difficult to cover one-on-one. And if Iowa can't mount a pass rush, that's going to leave a vulnerable secondary in some real situations because what I could see is if Iowa can't get to the quarterback and at least disrupt him, then Iowa could mount a 70-yard drive for a score and Michigan could wipe it back out with three plays. So I think right now, Iowa getting some players back and mounting a pass rush is the key to Iowa staying in this game. Back to uh, your point about A.J. Epinesa. He does only have one sack, and he's only got one tackle for loss, but Iowa overall on defense has 14 quarterback hurries, and Epinesa has five of those. And really, he has more. Iowa's very stingy with those numbers, and that's what we saw the other day. I'm like, uh, he had more than one. But you know, that said, yeah, they are disruptive at times. But I think getting to the quarterback is going to be important from here on out, especially this week and next. You know, and, you know, Epineza, one sack, one TFL, shallow people are going to look at that and say, he's not playing very well. What's what's wrong with him? But then you just turn on the tape and isolate on what A.J. Epineza is doing. Like, let's take uh, last week, the sack by Davion Nixon. Three three offensive players tried to block A.J. Epineza. And he was still, uh, you know, about a half second late, but he was still right there in, in uh, the quarterback's face. Through the entire rep, you had a left tackle and a running back that went straight at Epineza. Then you had a guard peel off after a combo block off the stamp and also watch him. So he's doing his job, and it's hard for people to kind of accept that, but I always compare him to, say, a Richard Seymour with the New England Patriots, who, you know, is a guy that uh, if he... Um, 
you know, he, a lot of times he wouldn't even have a statistic in a game, but be the most dominant player. And I think A.J. Epinesa is capable of that. And, and, you know, so I think the st- statistics belie his impact. That said, I think he could do a little bit more. And certainly the rest of the, the linemen can. So, you know, they are, as a unit, performing very, very well. But I do think pass rush against good teams is what's going to happen. They need to get a little bit better there. It does seem as if, you know, it's, there's sort of a parallel here with the injuries in Iowa's offensive line and how others have stepped up and the injuries in Iowa's defensive secondary and we've seen some really good performances out of the next man in there you know and you look at DJ Johnson a freshman that they liked a lot you know he was hurt for most of last year uh he stepped in and played really well I mean in the Iowa State game he got you know they had two big plays against him then he really played well other than those two big plays now in a loss that would have been crippling but it was a victory so you could kind of overlook him last week he played very well and I think he He's got the, the potential to be a very good player for Iowa for a long period of time. And not having Matt Hankins there uh, gives him that opportunity. And when Hankins comes back, maybe it's a competition. And and that would that would be the best case scenario for Iowa because it means they would have uh, a lot of uh, faith in two different players. Now, you know, Julius Brents also returns. And he has not played yet this year. And as far as athletes goes, he's probably the best-looking pure corner they have. Very long, 6'3", 200 pounds, uh, can cover, you know, but, you know, how does he see the field? Is it going to be in sub packages like, you know, when Iowa goes to a dime? And I think they will. So I think getting him back is a priority. And then also safety. You know, Kayvon Merriweather played first game. He started and then Jack Kerner started the last three. Well, Iowa's kind of risk averse in these situations and said, and understandably so. Uh, you know, Kerner has played more often. He's going to recognize things that maybe it'd take Merriweather a little bit longer. So I wouldn't be surprised if this week for sure, if they kind of keep Merriweather more on special teams, maybe a couple plays here and there, and uh, leave Kerner in place unless he gets burned, because, you know, Kerner's played pretty well. He's done some good things, and and uh, we'll see as the season matriculates how, uh, you know, who, who steps in for whom. Yeah, Kerner's the fourth leading tackler on the defense right now, so, uh, and I think Kirk, you know, has talked the last couple of weeks about kind of hitting that it might be tough for Merriweather to get a starting job back, so we'll see what happens here. Michigan has, here's another dual-threat quarter back that the Hawkeyes are going to face and Shea Patterson who's a transfer from Ole Miss. I think preseason he was picked by some people to be on a Heisman watch list but he's not quite performed to that level yet. No he hasn't and he's not he's not in that level anymore. I, I, I think he's a good player. He was one of the guys that got you know five-star acclaim and, and everybody's kind of looking at him wondering you know is he that good and, and sometimes that reputation precedes these quarterbacks and in his case he's he's been okay but not great. I mean nothing special you know he's not not even hit 60 percent completion percentage six touchdowns two interceptions that's awfully ordinary now he can run the football i mean there's no doubt about that you know he's uh you know his yards are kind of skewed because of sacks uh given up but uh, you know he's he's a danger guy because in third and eight and iowa covers up everybody he can find a running lane and run for a first down and he's capable of that he's he's probably athletically more in the line of a maybe even a better version of C.J. Beathard. So I think that that's a scary thought for, for Iowa facing this guy. So they're going to have to try to keep him in the pocket along with a good pass rush. But, you know, he's capable of beating it through the air if you give him time. He's got a good arm. Uh, time's a little erratic, but 
not bad. It's just I think really it's going to come down to whether the pass rush can disrupt him because uh, Michigan's running game is not not there. It's it's got a long way to go. 130.5 yards average rushing per game for the Wolverines. Iowa's defense, rushing defense, tenth in the nation, giving up 77 yards. That's a pretty terrific running defense against a team that's struggling to run. Yeah, I mean they're uh, there's you know 3.5 yards per carry, and uh, you know okay they, maybe they have a bad game against Wisconsin. Well, no, it's a bad game against everybody right now, and you know Rucker is not withstanding. So I, I think they you know they don't have that go-to running back right now. Um, their their main guy was Chris Evans, but he was academic academic casualty. You know Charbonneau right now is is kind of their lead guy. Still is is not really in place. They've had some injuries there. So this I, and and to kind of look at it also holistically, their offensive line has not played very well, and a lot of that is the switch dial. They went more to a spread style attack with Josh Gaddis as their offensive coordinator, and uh, you know it, that's cost them because they were more of a, a physical pit and pull zone blocking team last year. So they're not as physical up front. They're they're a little more reactive, and I think Iowa can take advantage of that by because of its two gap style of tying up those blockers and ensuring that the running game doesn't get on, on, on track, which may force them in a repeated third and long situation. So Iowa's total defense fifth in the nation versus Michigan's offense. Who has the edge in this matchup? I like Iowa. I think Iowa is a solid unit. I do, you know, again, I have maybe concerns and maybe I'm overanalyzing a little bit, you know, through their, you know, somewhat lack of pass rush and and potential for mistakes in the secondary. But I think overall, you know, there are two primary elements. Stopping the run is a key one. If you force them to pass a team like this, then uh, you make them one dimensional and that doesn't work all the time. So I like Iowa in this this part of the game. I just think that they're they're more balanced. Yeah, they're going to give up a few big plays. They will, but I don't think they're going to give up a ton, and they're going to make Michigan work for it. And if Michigan can't run effectively, it forces them to pass on third and four, and a lot of times that may lead to a field goal instead of a touchdown. Okay, quick look at special teams here. Ice performances, at least from the kicking game for the Hawkeyes. Kickoffs, certainly uh, field goals. Keith Duncan, 10 of 11 there. And punting is Michael Sleep Dalton has made a huge difference already for Iowa through the first four games. Yeah, yes. I mean, in net punting, they're ranked second. I think that's the one to look at the closest in 43.2 yards per punt. That's critical. I mean, when you got a team like Iowa that t- tries to force opponents to go down by down against you, bend but don't break style of defense, then that that's critical to make sure that you are uh, you're forcing them to have an extra first down or two to make before they get in scoring range. And and really, that's what you're looking at with Iowa right now. That that is the 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 what Sleep Dalton has brought. And, you know, and it's supposed to be a decent day still. We're not in the bad weather. So I think the the, the punter for Arizona State is, you know, is, is going to be okay. And then now Michigan's got its own, you know, ish, uh, punting situation that's really, you know, good. So I think we could see a lot of punt fests. But, you know, um, right, you know Keith Duncan's done a nice job with field goals. You know, Michigan's four or five. So, you know, but Will Hart, their punter, could put Iowa in some difficult spots. So, but that said, I I think at worst, Iowa is even. And don't forget, Keith Duncan did make one of the more pivotal field goals in Iowa history against Michigan three years ago. As usual, Kirk always talks about the play of special teams and turnovers being a key factor in these big, huge road games against uh, highly ranked quality teams. So to that point, what's your prediction here? There are just too many arrows to me uh, pointing in Iowa's favor to, to not to overlook that, to, to try to say, well, you know, 
I mean, you could you could talk about all the the figure the areas like the justifying. Well, Michigan's the more desperate team. Michigan needs this more. You know, it's at the big house. It's their homecoming and all that stuff. That you throw that out the window at times. You know, and you look at what does Iowa have? Iowa has the better line of scrimmage team, and in this league, line of scrimmage matters. Iowa has the better quarterback. Iowa has the better the more veteran team. It's savvy. It's gone on the road. It's won big games on the road. Michigan got blitzkrieged on the road. You know, there there are aspects that turn me, and but a lot of it's within the margin. It's turnovers. You know, we, but we don't know that. That's that's an unpredictable outcome. You know, field position, penalties. Those are things that yes, that that could be equalizers or worse. But I can't project those games. You know, in fact, Iowa's number one in the country in penalty yards. Uh, so I've got to go Iowa. I think Iowa's clearly the better better team. And if Iowa's pass rush gets after Patterson, I think we could see a similar scenario as we did in Madison. I'm not quite that gutsy, so I'm going to go Iowa 27-17 at the big house. So what you got to do, you got to fall back. That's superior firepower and superior intelligence. Total yardage for Iowa the most in the Kirk Ferentz era, 640. Wow. Wow, indeed. With Iowa moving forward, I, I think they just continue to build. A lot of confidence coming off of this game. Ferentz and Rick Stockstill, 36 combined years as head coaches at their respective schools. And Kirk wins the first meeting 48-3. Iowa's 4-0 for the fifth time in Kirk Ferentz's 21 years. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the Iowa MTSU game highlights, and thanks as always to Scott Docterman and John Bonenkamp. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 13 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.